0: would grab your Bible and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter two, we're going to read verses one through 10. This morning I'm going to be talking to you from the topic of the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. We've been covering a series on the doctrine of, of the church, and um, we have covered the total depravity of man. We've covered the doctrine of regeneration, this morning we're moving, and, and, and I've kind of got out of order. If you're familiar with doctrine, I'm not following the regular routine of things, but um, I'm going with things that I don't think I've covered before. I'm going with things that, that, that we've kind of stayed away from for whatever reason. And so I'm trying to pick out subjects that I believe that you've heard of and know something about, but maybe you don't really have a lot of knowledge about these things. So we're going to talk about what the Bible has to say about... The doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Ephesians chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. This is what it reads. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The key thing I want you to focus on there is that you were dead because of your sins. Verse 3 among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So here's the next thing I want you to notice. All of mankind is affected by this deadness because of their sin. We've all been there in one way or another. Verse 4, But God, but God, being rich in mercy... You have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing or not of your works. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are His workmanship. He's talking about Christians here. He's not talking about all mankind. Of course, all mankind is His creation, but He's talking about Christians. We are His workmanship, and here's how I know. Look at the next part created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You can be seated. And as you're seated, let's go to the Lord in prayer, please. Father, this morning I come to you and I just want to remind myself right now and remind all of these that this is your word. Lord, this is not something that I have any power over. This is not something that I can take and make it accomplish anything. Outside of what you do with it, it's just a book. But Father, when you inspire it and when you send it forth, your promise is that it will not return back to you void. So my prayer is that you would cause your purpose to be accomplished this morning. God, I pray that you would take me out of the way. Lord, that you truly would just speak through me, God. And, Lord, I know that you don't even need me. But, Father, you have saw fit in your sovereignty, God, to use people like us to send forth your message. And, Father, thank you for letting us join with you in your work. But, God, I pray right now that you would help me to depend completely on you, Lord, to cause your purpose to be accomplished in the sending forth of this word. Father, I thank you for everything that you've done for us in our lives. I thank you first and foremost for the grace that has brought us to faith, God, and gave us salvation through your Son. Father, help us to see what that looks like in our life this morning. And Father, I pray for these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. This morning, you may not have ever heard of the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. But you've probably heard of this one. Once saved, always saved. You heard that? All right. Some of you probably heard this one. Eternal security. You heard that one. All right. Basically, they're all the same doctrines whether you call it the perseverance of the saints, once saved, always saved, or you call it eternal security, no matter what you, some people actually call it the preservation of the saints instead of the perseverance of the saints. And we're going to get into a little bit of that here in just a little bit. But the main thing I want you to understand is these are nothing more than names that are used to summarize what the Bible has to teach about how God keeps you in your salvation no matter which one of these names you use it's about how God keeps you in your salvation I want you to think about something for just a minute I wish I could think of the guy's name I can't think of it but he's a pastor in Decatur Alabama it'll come to me later he was preaching um, I don't remember if it was on this subject or not but he told a story he said, imagine this morning that all of us were getting on a jet plane and we're going to Hawaii, all right? We're on our way as a whole church right here. We have just, uh, we've just boarded the plane. We've just got in our seats. You've been told to buckle up, and you're reaching to get your magazine, and all of a sudden you look down in front of you, and there's a set of bicycle pedals in front of your chair. And you look down at them bicycle pedals, and you go, Now, what's that all about? So you call the stewardess over here, and you say, Ma'am, what's the bicycle pedals for? And she says, Well, just look around. And you look around, and you notice there's bicycle pedals in front of every person on this plane. And so all of a sudden, the stewardess gets on the little microphone thing that she does, and she says, Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that the captain has agreed, the pilot has agreed that he is going to use all of this plane's power to get you up in the air. But once you're in the air, the rest of it is on you. And you're going to pedal your way all the way to Hawaii. Thank you. Please enjoy your flight. How many of you think we're going to make it? We're going down, ain't we? because we do not have the power to keep this 747 jet in the air. We didn't have the power to get it in the air, and we don't have the power to keep it in the air. This morning, I want to talk to you about what the Bible has to say about how God brings us to salvation, and then how God keeps us in salvation. And the title that I'm using is simply The Perseverance, of the saints now listen for many years this has been a very hotly debated subject we're not going to solve uh, all that this morning but we are going to look at what the bible has to say and what we believe it teaches on this subject and i truly believe that we have an accurate description of what it teaches there are some who believe that you can lose your salvation and there are some who believe that you cannot But here's what the issue really comes down to, if you're taking notes. The issue really comes down to whether salvation is by faith alone, through grace alone, or is it by your works or something that you do in order to be saved? And that's how we're going to figure out whether we are once saved, always saved, And the only reason I'm not a big fan of that title is just one day this title right here will not be taught correctly and there will be somebody that don't like this title. So it's not about the title as much as it is about the teaching, okay? So don't get caught up on on what title we use in this. It's about what the Bible teaches. So I want to answer two questions. The first question, if if salvation is by faith alone, then only faith can save. And if salvation is by faith alone, then only the loss of faith can unsave. Correct? If salvation is by faith alone, then only the loss of faith can unsave. If only faith can save, then only the loss of it can unsave. And we're going to look at why I don't believe that is possible. Or if salvation is by our works, then how do we gain it? What do we have to do? What works do we have to do in order to achieve it? And how do we lose it? So we'll look at both sides of this argument this morning. But let's begin with the second one first. If salvation is by works, how do we gain it? Well, if it's by works, one of the first things you've got to do is you've got to get yourself turned around. Because we are going opposite of God. We've been teaching and looking at the doctrine of total depravity and we have learned that you don't want God. We don't want to retain God in our knowledge. We don't want God in our hearts. We don't want God in our passions. And so because of that, Romans 1 said that God has handed us over and He's given us over to these minds and these hearts and these passions. The Bible also tells us that there's none good. There's not even one. There is no one who desires God. No, not one. So let me ask you this. If you don't desire God, how can you turn yourself around? If there's not even one who wants God, how can you turn around to go to Him? The scripture teaches very clearly that we can't, the fleshly mind can't understand the things of God. It's not able. The fleshly mind cannot submit to the law of God. It is not possible because The fleshly mind is an enemy of God. So there is no way that we can turn ourselves around. But here's the thing about it. If you could turn yourself around and salvation were by works, then it would only be by continuously being obedient to God. So what would happen the moment you decided to not be obedient? You'd be off track. You'd lose it. All of a sudden, what you did to gain that salvation, all of a sudden, it's gone. And so we have to be able to look and see that we don't want God. We can't turn to God unless He opens our eyes and leads us by the Spirit. We are sinfully corrupt with no hope unless God draws us in. Remember what the Scriptures also say. Most of you should remember this by memory. No one comes to the Son unless the Father or unless the Spirit draws Him. No one can come to Him unless He is drawn in. So we are sinfully corrupt with no hope unless God draws us in, unless He reveals our sin to us and gives us faith to trust in Him. Our only part is to surrender and believe. Our only part is literally when the Holy Spirit comes and draws us and He shows us our sin and then we hear the gospel Our only part is to throw our hands up and say, I surrender. I surrender. I can't do anything else. I know I'm fighting you. I know I'm running away from you. You have opened my eyes up. You have shown me my sin. I surrender. I don't want to be a rebel anymore. I don't want to go my own way. I see where this goes. And whenever you surrender and then you believe that what he says he will do, he says, whoever confesses the Lord Jesus, uh, whoever confesses Jesus as Lord and whoever believes in his heart that God has raised him from the dead, he shall be saved. In other words, I believe with all my heart that he will do what he said he will do. That is our only part that we play in this whatsoever. We surrender and we believe. And then he gives us new hearts. New minds, we've already went over this last week He gives us power to follow Him That power comes through the Holy Spirit He gives us the power He He gets us in the air With the plane He provides the power To make sure that we stay in the air This is our only hope It all comes through faith by grace especially according to Ephesians chapter 2, but many other places. We can't be saved by our works. We can't lose it by failing in our works. If that were the case, we'd all be hopelessly lost because how many of you have done it all right ever since you came to Jesus? You got it all right. Nobody? No takers on that? We're going to look at a few other people in the Bible here in just a little bit that didn't get it right either, but they were still saved. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-10, through 10, we see that we were dead, as I mentioned in the first verse. We were dead. We were dead in sin with no desire to follow God or submit to His ways. But because of His mercy, in verse 4 of Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive. How did you become alive? Was it something you did? You didn't do this on your own. He made you alive. Listen, how much power does a dead man have to bring himself back to life other than if you're the creator of life? How much control did Lazarus have over raising himself from the dead? If he had any control over it, don't you think that um, he wouldn't have waited four days? They said, that joker is stinking by now. You think he wants to come out of that tomb stinking? He wouldn't have waited that long. He didn't have any power over this. He was a dead man. But God, in his mercy, made him alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved, is what verse 5 says. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness so we see here that he had mercy he had grace he had love because of his kindness toward us all of these things are why he saved us and why you are saved do you see anything in here yet about something you did by grace you have been saved in verse 8 through faith faith alone, that's it and this is not your own doing Paul wants to make that clear here it is the gift of God in other words, this is the creation that God did I love the way he puts it next by grace you have been saved, not a result of works, so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship and here's the next part, created in Christ Jesus do you notice that, created in you are a new creation, forever changed. and the, re- the reason is is because of his mercy, his love, his kindness, his grace, what he showed toward you. He made you alive even though you were dead. He drew you by his spirit, he proclaimed the gospel to you, and then he led you to faith in him. It is not of yourself, it is not of your works. It is the gift of God, for we are His workmanship. It's all Him, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are eternally secure in our salvation because it is by God and His power, not ours. This is important that you get this this morning. We don't have the power to make ourselves alive from the deadness of our sin any more than Lazarus had the power to raise himself from the dead. We don't have the power to do anything about our new birth any more than we had the power to do, have any participation in your first birth. We covered that last week. How much participation did you do in your first birth? Savannah put it best. She said, I showed up. That's exactly what you did. You showed up. You don't have anything more to do with it other than showing up, hearing the word. Listen, the only thing Lazarus did was heard Jesus say what? Lazarus, come forth. And the word was heard, and Lazarus' only part was to respond in faith. I can't, I'm dead. Is that faith? Is that what Lazarus did? What did Lazarus do? And he did it by faith. He just simply heard the word because the Lord spoke it to him. He was dead. He didn't even have ears to hear. God gave him ears to hear. God did it all. The only thing Lazarus did was believe. When he heard it, he believed. And he got up and he walked you don't have no more control over this new birth than we have control over the wind it blows where it will ain't that what he told Nicodemus last week we covered he said Nicodemus listen the spirit's like the wind we don't know where it comes from we don't know where it goes the only thing we do is we feel the effects of it and we know it's come through well let me tell you something You don't have any more control over your new birth than you have over the wind. You can't summon the wind. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes. All you know is that you felt the effects of it. And you know that he's come through. And that's the way the new birth works. We simply hear the word and believe it by faith. We are saved by faith and faith alone for good works. But it's God's creation, not yours. Faith is either genuine or it's not. And genuine faith will always result in good works. Now this is important to get because the problem with this is you have a lot of people who take this doctrine of once saved, always saved and they say, listen, if there was a time that I knelt down and I prayed the prayer and asked Jesus into my heart it don't matter what I did with the rest of my life. Wrong that is a terrible doctrine terrible doctrine and that the Bible teaches nothing like that it says that we are saved by faith and faith alone but genuine faith always results in good works so let's take a look at what that looks like Hebrews chapter 11 go with me Hebrews chapter 11 will start in verse 7 <coughs> go through these rather quickly In verse 7 it says, By faith, Noah. All these people that did it by faith. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as not yet seen, in reverent fear, he built an ark for the saving of his household. Now think about that whole picture right here. Noah heard the word of God. How do I know that? Because it says that when he was divinely warned. How else would he get a warning if he hadn't heard the Word of God? So he hears the Word of God, but somewhere along the line, not only does a warning come, but a promise comes. And that promise is, I'm going to save you and your household because of your faith. And then Noah has a choice. He can either say, okay God, I believe you, And then sit back and do absolutely nothing. Or he could say, okay God, I believe you. Where do we go from here? And God says, okay, build an ark. And I'm going to show you exactly how to do it. Noah was not saved because he built an ark. Noah built an ark because he was saved. That's why he built the ark. And so you have to understand that faith... Always follows the direction of its hope what was Noah's hope? the saving of his household that was his hope what was the direction that it followed? we built an ark and I'm building an ark because I believe the warning of God I've heard the word of God, I believe that what God says he's going to do and I'm going to follow God in the direction of this hope, that's the way this process works let's keep on going Let's go down to uh, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was what? Called. In other words, Abraham the same way. He heard a call from God. He heard a message from God. He heard something that was delivered to him that said... If you go out and you will trust me and you will follow me, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you and you shall be a blessing. And the Bible says Abraham obeyed when he was called. He heard the word. He believed the word. And that's why he obeyed and that's why he went out. It says that Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive it as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Noah started building a boat and he didn't know how to build a boat. This is not about what you know. This is not about your knowledge. This is not about your power. This is simply about God. I believe what you said and I'm going to follow the direction of your hope. That's what I'm going to do. And so this is the way that faith operates. Let's keep going just a little bit further in verse 9. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has its foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. So here's the thing you have to understand. Sarah heard a promise from God, and she considered him faithful. Even though the Bible says at first she laughed, but if you were a 90-year-old woman and God said, I'm fixing to give you a baby, what would you do? Pray. (laughs) I'd laugh too. She laughed at first, but then the Bible says that she moved to a place of faithfulness. And she said, I consider him faithful. I believe that he'll do what he said he would do. And as a result of that, she received strength to conceive. So again, you've got to see the way this process works. You are not saved because of what you do. You are saved because of what you believe. And then you do according to what you believe. If Noah didn't believe God, he wouldn't have built an ark. If Abraham didn't actually believe God, he wouldn't have went out. If Sarah didn't actually believe God, she wouldn't. If faith is genuine, we believe unto obedience and this kind of faith gives salvation in spite of our disobedience. In spite of the fact that Sarah laughed. In spite of the fact that Noah was a drunkard. you know what Noah did as soon as he got off the ark? So here's the thing about it. Did Noah lose his salvation when he got off the ark? Because his salvation wasn't based on his mistakes or his his acts of obedience. His salvation was based on faith. And then his acts of obedience came as a result of that faith. You're not kept in the air because you're pedaling the bicycle. It was never by your power to begin with. You're kept in the air because you believe by faith. And God gives you the strength to stay in the air. Noah was a drunkard. Abraham was old. He was a liar. Abraham, the, the, the promised father of all Israel, was a liar. He was a liar. Sarah laughed at God and actually convinced her husband to have a baby with the housekeeper. And Abraham did it. Jacob, or Israel, was a liar who deceived his father. Moses was an insecure murderer. David was an adulterous murderer. Yet the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. Acts chapter 13 verse 22. And one thing I would call your attention to the book of Acts is that it was written long after David was already dead. And so if these mistakes somehow would have canceled him out of this, Why in the world would all of a sudden Acts chapter 13 verse 22 say that David was a man after God's own heart. He will do all of my will. David was a man that pleased God by faith and faith alone. Let's look at Peter for just a moment. I can't think of anyone who continuously stumbled more than Peter. John MacArthur said that Peter was the disciple with the foot-shaped mouth. No matter what Peter done, he always seemed to speak up at the wrong time. He always always said the, the, the worst thing at the worst time. No matter what he did, he just couldn't seem to get it right. There were several times that Peter actually received very strong rebukes from Jesus himself. You remember when Jesus looked at Peter and said, Get behind me. That was to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. After Jesus ascended unto heaven and, and the church was already established, even Paul had to rebuke Peter. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, the apostle Paul actually says that he, he had to rebuke Peter to his face because he, he was wrong in what he was doing. He says, when Cephas or Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Even after Jesus ascends unto heaven, Peter still can't seem to catch a break. Man, this dude, everything he does, he just keeps finding himself messing up. Peter's life is proof that a believer in genuine faith will have many ups and downs. Many ups and downs. It's part of the spiritual journey. But Peter's life also shows us that he didn't lose his salvation during the down times because his salvation was never based on the good that he did. It was based on the faith that he had. Let's take a look at that in Luke chapter 22, verse 31 through 32. He says, Simon, Simon, and this is is beautiful because Jesus actually lets Peter have a behind the scenes look at what was going on before this happened. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. He came and he said, I want that guy right there. I want him. He's not faithful. He's no better than me. He'll deny you. He don't, he don't care about you. He don't love you. Let me put him to the test. So here we see this behind-the-scenes look. And he says, Simon, Simon, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. Man, this is important. That your faith may not fail. Here's the thing about it. Jesus didn't say, Satan asked for you and I told him no. He says, Satan asked for you, but listen, I prayed for you. I prayed for you that your faith not fail. Your faith is going to stay strong. You know how I know? Because he says, and when you have turned again, in other words, when you find your way back, in other words, I already know that you're going to persevere in this thing in spite of your failures. I already know that you're going to find your way back. So when you have turned back and you find yourself back where you're supposed to be, here's what I want you to do. Strengthen your brothers. You know why he said that? Because they're going to do the same thing that you did, just in a different way. Strengthen your brothers. Did Peter fail? Absolutely. Did he sin? Miserably. He denied Christ three times even after Jesus told him it was going to happen and then at the end of it he literally cursed and swore I don't know this man he cursed and swore that he didn't know him but did he lose his salvation? no, here's why because his faith was genuine and genuine faith may have serious falls but never total and final falls from grace this is one reason why our faith is tested to prove the genuineness of it if we continue to fight our sin and we get up from our failures, it proves that our faith was genuine. But if we fall after believing and we never fight, we never try to get back up, we say we believe but our life never follows the direction of the hope, guess what? The faith was not genuine. I want to show you just a few reasons why saving faith, why saving faith is... um, why it is necessary and the only way to be able to keep from falling from grace, I guess is the way that that you would put it. So let's take a look at it for just a minute. I want you to understand that eternal security or perseverance of the saints is not a license to sin. Believers who are living this way are either backslidden in faith or they never knew him. Look with me at Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 through 23. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Now the key thing to remember in that is that these people called him what? Lord. So what does that mean that they think? They think that he is their Lord. And yet he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Anybody been casting out any demons this week? No, nobody in here had been doing that? Pretty, pretty serious things right here. And did we not do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I what? Never knew you. Never. You can do all the works you want. It was never based on what you did, on how good you were. It was based on whether you believed whether you trusted me by faith and you believed my promise. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. First John chapter 2, verse 19. He says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. In other words... If they had have had genuine faith, they would have continued with us. They would have stayed in this race with us. Now, I'm not talking about in this church. The body of Christ is much bigger than Wales Baptist Church. I'm talking about in the faith, in believing God. If they had have been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. So those that are backslidden in faith, the Holy Spirit will not leave them alone. Jesus has prayed for you. That's a beautiful thing about this doctrine right here is that it's not just for you. I want to take you to one last verse. I'm not able to uh, to cover even half of what I need to on this subject. But go with me to John chapter 17, the gospel of John. I want to look at a prayer because here's the thing about it. In the same way that, that uh, Jesus pl- prayed for Peter is the same way that he prays for you and every believer. John chapter 17, let's begin in verse, um, I think verse 11 is what I gave you. Wherever I gave you, let's start there. John chapter 17. Let's start in verse 11. It says, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I did what? I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. In other words, the one that we knew from the beginning, which was Judas, that would be lost. I've kept them, I've guarded them, I've kept them in your name so that the scripture might be fulfilled. And then verse 13. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. This is the prayer that Jesus is praying for you. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. And in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Who's he talking about there? You. Jesus prayed for you in the same way that he prayed for Peter. And he said, listen, Satan is going to come. He's going to bring them through a lot of ups and downs. They're going to have a lot of failures. They're going to have a lot of faults. But in the same way that you brought them to this salvation, my prayer is that you keep them in this salvation. The true saints of God will persevere in faith because God will cause them to persevere in faith. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 actually says Paul said that I am absolutely confident that what God has started He will also bring to completion. What God has done He's also going to finish what He started. It wasn't you that started it. It was Him. And it's not you that finish it. It is Him. And it is all Him. Your only part is faith. But This is why there is so much warning and emphasis being uh, focused on maintaining faith because there are many scriptures that say uh, be aware and be watchful lest you fall away. There are scriptures that actually would cause us to think well then listen, if we mess up we're going to fall away from this salvation. But when you examine those scriptures in their context as we're learning on Wednesday nights how to do that is not what they're saying. They're actually warning us that those who are truly saints and those who are of genuine faith shouldn't be in these lifestyles. So they're trying to bring warning to you to say, listen, if you're living these kind of lifestyles and yet you're a Christian, something is wrong. This is not the way that saving faith manifests itself. The same way that Nathan came to David when he was in his adulterous, murderous relationship and he came to him and he tried to bring him out of it and open his eyes and David, when he finally saw it he said, God I have sinned against you I have sinned against you and the only thing he could do was turn back to God in faith and follow God back in the obedience that he once was but obedience is the fruit of true genuine faith if there's no obedience then you need to be warned that maybe your faith isn't genuine or you're backslidden or you need to repent one of the the things there in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 the apostle Paul actually warned them and told them you need to examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith and he was talking about the lives some of them were living he said guys something's not right If you were in genuine faith, it shouldn't be this way. So either you're backslidden or your faith is not genuine. But something has to be turned and something has to be changed. And that can only be done by your faith, by you trusting in the promise of God once again. In closing, why is the doctrine called the perseverance of the saints? Because... The saints are the ones of genuine faith who are called by God. He will cause them to persevere in this faith and complete the work and, com- and show the evidence of their genuine faith in their persevering. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14. If you can give me that one. Look at this. For we have come, we have come to share in Christ if, here's a big if, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end let's put it in all the other people's perspective Noah has indeed come to believe and trust in God if he holds his confidence in what God said firm to the end and the evidence of that will be the fact that he'll follow God and build an ark we have become partakers of Christ If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, if you keep believing and you keep trusting and you hold on to that firm to the end, it will prove that you were a partaker of Christ. But if you don't hold it firm to the end, it will prove that you were not. Behold, I never knew you. You were never a partaker of me. See, here's the thing about it. Talking like a southerner, don't make you a Southerner. It shows that you are one. When you talk like a Southerner, that ain't what makes you a Southerner. There are actors out there that can can put on a voice and talk like Southerners. But a true Southerner will show that he is a Southerner just by being who he is or she is, whichever the case may be. Perseverance doesn't make you a saint. It shows that you are one. I pray that if you're not able to look at your life, and you're not able to see perseverance in your life, I pray that you would this morning question your salvation. You ain't never heard a preacher say that before, have you? If you are not walking in genuine faith, and if your life is not following the direction of the hope that comes from the Word of God, then you have every reason to look at your life, And examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Because the truth of the matter is, you may be one of those that says, Lord, Lord. And he looks back at you and says, And who are you again? Never knew you. See, everybody in here thinks that I'm exempt from that, right? That's not going to be me. But every one of these guys called him Lord. Every one of them said, Lord, Lord. Listen, we have every reason as Christians to always daily examine our faith to make sure that we are in the faith. And one way that you'll know whether you're in the faith is if you're persevering in the confidence and the hope that He gave you in His promise. If you're not doing that in your life, I'm telling you this morning, is a good morning for you to start to say, God, my life doesn't reflect that I'm in the faith. Again, I'm not talking about mistakes and stumbles. We all make those. Do you fight your sin and do you get back up and do you get back on track with God? Do you allow the Spirit to convict you of your sin and to lead you and guide you and direct you in this walk of faith? And if you don't do that, then you're either lost, number one, and you've never put genuine hope, full assurance of hope in God's promise, or you're backslidden, possibly, or you're just simply backslidden and a need to just turn back to God and get back in line. It's called repentance. It's one of the biggest steps of the gospel. It's just simply saying, God, I have my eyes open. I'm going to turn toward you. And I'm going to start following your strength and your power. And I'm going to start walking in everything that you provide. The perseverance of the saints is a true doctrine. Not because you have the power to keep yourself in it. You didn't have the power to get in it to begin with. And you don't keep yourself in it. God keeps you in it. I pray this morning that that secures you in your salvation. Not to give you a license to sin, but to give you a license of grace to to follow Him with all that you've got and to, to build an ark, to go out not knowing where you're going, to follow Him in whatever direction the hope leads you in. But I pray that your life reflects that you are trusting Him in obedience and that you're persevering as a true saint would. If y'all would stand this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and I'm talking to some of you that you know your life does not reflect a persevering saint. You know that. If it don't, If you know that in your heart you have full assurance that God is going to do what He said He would do and you trust Him to be faithful, if that's you this morning, I pray that you would come and humble yourself before Him and just ask Him to forgive you. But I pray this morning that if you have never put your hope and your trust in Him, that this morning would be the morning you say, I can look at my life and I know that I don't have faith. But this morning I want to have faith. If the Spirit's wind is blowing on you and you feel His power and His presence this morning, then right now is the time to respond. He's drawing. He's drawing. All you've got to do is turn to Him.